God made us a promise through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 12, I will hasten my word to perform it. There is something about that that is now happening in our world. Hasten is the Hebrew word shakad. It means to be sleepless. In other words, I'm not going to sleep on what I have said. I'm not going to check, it, check out about it. I'm alert. It means hasten shakad is the word for alert or to be watchful. The word perform is the Hebrew word asah or asayah, and that is the word for create. In the beginning, God created with his words, asayah. It is also the word in Hebrew language meaning to advance or to bring forth or to make happen. Very interestingly, in Genesis 14 and verse 2, Asayah is used uniquely to mean to make war with words. To make war with words. I do not sleep on my word. I'm watchful to, them to, to, to bring them to pass. I'm alert to bring them forth, to advance them. I will speed them to pass with ever watchful care. I'll create and I'll do whatever I need to do to cause them to happen. I'll advance them to make war against my enemies. I'll make them happen to battle and overcome my enemies. Even in this war season, I'm alert to ways to bring my word to pass. Trust this, he says. Trust this, I never sleep. I'm ever alert to advance what I say. I will hasten my word to perform it. There are times when God hastens his word. We are in one of those seasons right now. There are times when he makes war with his words. His written word, also prophetic words, promises, words that he has declared over us. There are times when he will make war with those words. This past week, these words leaped into my spirit as I heard them breathe fresh by the Holy Spirit in conjunction, conjunction with the prayers of God's people. And I heard so very clearly of the Lord, you pray and I will speed up my words to come to pass. Pray and I will hasten my words. Remember, Holy Spirit has told us that we have now entered into a war season that will be very fierce through the midterm elections. You probably have noticed that is picking up. It will be a war season through the midterm elections that are very fierce. At times they'll be very fierce, stirred by the forces of evil. 
And we, the ecclesia, we, the, the true church, are to engage it by presenting ourselves before the Lord in prayer, in the making of decrees, and in worship warfare. And we, of course, did that last, last Sunday. We presented ourselves with our kids. We brought them over from the other building and stood before the Lord and presented ourselves before Him as we, like Jehoshaphat, began a war season. Well, this past week, I began to see two things amping up in this war season that will bring great victory that that right now look impossible in the natural realm. And it will help us overcome the fierce attacks against Christianity. It will accelerate revival, though we are in a war season. It will accelerate awakening and reformation outpourings, though it's a war season. And number one is the hastening of His Word. Words that we have been believing from the written word or from prophetic words. We have a lot of them, prophetic words, uh, words of prophecy to us. Remember last week what Jehoshaphat said to the people, believe the prophets and you will prosper, you'll succeed. Number two, the prayer effort of the church is now amping up I don't know that I've ever sensed a call of the Holy Spirit quite like what I am sensing and hearing right now concerning the amping up of prayer. The prayer effort is now amping up, producing answers that are now in their moment. It's happening individually, it's happening corporately. A cry of faith to change things is rising. Holy Spirit is calling to believers to pray, to pray without ceasing, to pray fervently. And we must engage this war season with prayer. As we do, God says, I will hasten my words to perform them. I heard this word of the Lord Tuesday morning as I began to pray into this 4th of July weekend. As my ecclesia prays, I will hasten my words to complete them, changing times and seasons in their favor. I will hasten victories in long-standing battles. We've already seen one, abortion, 50-year battle. I will enjoin the fight, he says. I will enjoin the fight. My angels will enjoin the fight. And you will see the salvation of the Lord. For this nation was placed in my hands, and I will not hand it back. The encroachments will be dealt with, and a leader shift, leader shift, will transform my nation. And the emphasis was on my nation. It's not a Republican nation. It's not a Democrat nation. It's not the progressives nation. It's not the conservatives nation. It's God's nation. 
I will war with my people and advance my words. This is my nation. Now, Holy Spirit called this war season in another prophetic word that we, we received a while back, the blitz push of the king's ecclesia. In the spirit realm, things are synergizing right now into a very transformative moment of time. We, of course, the remnant, the ecclesia, must maintain that momentum with prayer, with faith decrees, and worship warfare. Prayer is not just a good idea. It is an engagement with heaven whereby God can then hasten his word on the earth. Prayer partners with the Godhead. Prayer brings victories, great, small, and in between. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 12, the Amplified Bible reads, God says, I am alert and active, watching over my words to perform them. Message Bible reads, I will make every word I gave you come true. Now for today's ecclesia or remnant, that is a mighty long list. A whole lot more than reversing Roe versus Way is about to come true. Something is happening that the world has never seen before. Something bigger than Roe versus Wade promises that are big are now on the agenda. God has promised a worldwide revival. He has promised our sons and daughters are going to prophesy. He has promised notable miracles will be seen. He has promised the greatest outpouring of Holy Spirit is coming, and he is in the season to hasten his word to perform it. I will make every word I gave you come true. Now, we've already seen what millions thought would never happen where abortion is concerned. We have now seen it did happen, which should give us great confidence to expect more of what man says can't happen is now about to happen. It's a transformative season. It's hastening to, to come to completion. Keep praying, don't get weary. Prayer is the key to changing things. Prayer, pr pray, God will, will hear. Pray, God will answer. As we've seen just in the past few weeks, when vexing comes from a culture, when persecution comes from government leaders like happened in Acts chapter 12 after Pentecost, when a war season rises, when our leaders are falsely accused and imprisoned as Peter was in the very first ecclesia, when the battle is fierce, when violence and threatening come, but, but the church prays, but the church prays, when the church prays continued, earnest, heartfelt prayers, change happens 
battles begin to turn in our favor. When the church prays, prison bars break open. When the church prays, the enemy is struck by lightning bolts out of heaven, knocking the enemy off their donkeys. When the church prays, the souls are blinded by the light of God's word. When the church prays, government leaders are suddenly confronted by angels. When the church prays, a nation acknowledges God again. When the church prays, the gospel of Christ's kingdom grows, expands, and prevails. When the church prays, authority that is superior to all other authority on the earth is backed with supernatural power. When the church prays, those bound in chains are set free. When the church prays, those bound by lying spirits are set free. Yes, we can pray people free. It is a part of what this war season is about. In prayer, we battle for the soul of this nation. In prayer, we battle for the souls of lost human beings. And as we do, God says, I'm going to hasten my words to bring them to pass. I can't resist saying this again. But God didn't, didn't command us or give us a, a command to enter into a four-month war season. He didn't lead us into a war season to lose it. We're going to win it. He is leading a victory like this world has never seen before. We can pray kids free. We can. We can pray millennials free. They need it. We can pray families free. We can pray leaders free. We can pray a nation free. And the calling now of Holy Spirit is engage yourself. God wants to hasten his promises. In this strategic war season, we must understand the importance of presenting ourselves before God in prayer. We must understand and reaffirm our confidence. Our confidence that God hears and answers our prayer. Prayer looses freedom. Prayer is the key to the loosing of liberties again and the, the uh, overcoming of obstacles against our freedom and liberty, which is, of course, what this weekend is about in our nation. Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, was convicted in his heart concerning freedom for people regardless of race, creed, or color. And of course, we know that President Lincoln, he, he had a lot of opposition, met great opposition, actually. One afternoon, in a candid moment, a reporter was sitting with him. And he must have been in a very reflective mood. Again, a candid moment. He said to this reporter these words, I've been driven to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that all around me seems insufficient for the day. In other words, if true freedom 
was going to be released, God would have to send help. You don't change a nation without prayer. You don't see revival and reformation without it. It's not optional. I don't know. I lost count a long time ago of how many times I have been driven to my knees because I had nowhere else to go. And I didn't need anywhere else to go. I needed something that only God could do. I've been in situations where I was most certainly driven to my knees because I had nowhere else to go. And I've seen God come through. The church at this time must be driven to its knees. We have nowhere else to go. He is our option. In the mid 1500s, you find a man named John Knox. He was a preacher who was involved in the Reformation. Um, and that Reformation has changed the entire world. We know that. He's a very highly educated man. Uh, and he involved himself in Scottish nobility. He wasn't afraid to be involved in, in politics. And he involved himself in the political affairs of his nation, often was a vocal champion against ungodly laws. Now, this is 500 years ago, so what we're doing isn't new. It's pretty old. He involved himself in coming against ungodly laws. He was also the leading voice in the ousting of Mary Stuart, who then ruled in the name of Mary, Queen of Scots. He actually demanded her evil reign to end. And he involved himself in the overthrow of her reign because of her evil lifestyle and the injustice that she promoted. John Knox also founded the Presbyterian Church in Scotland. Most importantly, he was a man of prayer. He helped to write the text for the, the Book of Common Prayers, and he helped write the Confession of Faith for the Reformation. He is one of the rare ministers in our history. We have some today, not as many as we need, but he's one of those rare ministers who changed a nation through prayer. Mary, Queen of Scots, once told her council this, I fear John Knox's prayers more than 10,000 enemy soldiers. At the end of his life, Pres Presbyterian historians give us some very inspiring information. John Knox had become very ill, and it became very apparent it was his time to go. And he certainly did end well. And now listen to this obituary. While very ill, John Knox, the founder of the Presbyterian Church in Scotland, 
called to his wife and said, come and read me the scriptures where I first cast my anchor. That was a common term 500 years ago. I mean, the trade was in shipping. Casting the anchor was a very common term. When you cast your anchor, it means you don't want to move. When you cast anchor, you want to keep your position, staying put. And a part of the confession of faith at that time was, I've anchored in Jesus. Brother, have you anchored? How are you anchored? You anchored in the Lord? That was common in those days. But John was asking for his wife to actually read one of the prayers of Jesus when he prayed for his church to be one. Why? Because John had anchored his life and ministry on that particular prayer. Come, read me the scripture where I first cast my anchor. After he listened to the beautiful prayer of Jesus recorded in John 17, he, he seemed to forget his weakness and he began to pray, interceding earnestly for his fellow man. He prayed for the ungodly who, who uh, for the ungodly that had just received the gospel. He pleaded uh, for people who had been recently converted and he requested protection for the Lord's servants, many of whom were being persecuted. This again is his obituary. John Knox prayed and then his head began to sag and his spirit went home to be with the Lord. The man of whom Queen Mary had said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all of my enemies. Ministered prayer to his last breath. What a testimony. What or how do you see revival? How do you fuel reformation? How do you change a nation? You pray. You bring God into the equation. You anchor yourself in Jesus and pray. A contemporary of John Knox, quite a bit more famous, is Martin Luther. Yes, Martin Luther was a great preacher. He was a great theologian. But also he was a prophetic voice to the entire world. Martin Luther, of course, is the initiator of the Reformation that is still ongoing. October 31, 1517, Luther defiantly nailed 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church. And it was a declaration against the demon doctrines that had infiltrated the church of that time, especially the doctrine of paying indulgences, meaning people had to pay to have their sins forgiven. They had to pay if they wanted to go to heaven. They had to pay the church if they wanted to go to, the, to heaven. Luther couldn't find it in the Bible. And indeed, it's not there. 
What he did find was justification by faith. The just must live by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He, of course, founded the Lutheran churches that are still ongoing today. Without question, he's one of the foremost revivalists and, and reformers the church has ever had. And he did change nations. His doctrines helped actually in the founding of our own nation, the United States of America, are founded on Martin Luther's doctrines in many cases. His hymns still inspire us today. Perhaps his greatest is a mighty fortress is our God. Luther said this, if I should neglect prayer but a single day, I would lose a great deal of the fire of faith. He knew to keep the fire burning, there's got to be prayer. John Bunyan, in the next century, 1678 to be exact, he wrote the now famous Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, you should. Bunyan writes a statement on prayer that's, that's just one to think on for a while. I had to think on this one. He said, prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will cause a man to cease from prayer. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. In other words, if you want to see things change, pray. You want to do more, pray. Don't stew on it, pray on it. You can always do more after you've prayed. A century or so later, the mid-1800s, you find a man named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He is often called in our times the prince of, of preachers. His sermons are still studied in Bible schools to this very day. Spurgeon was a Reformed Baptist preacher. He too was a reformer. He too was a revivalist. What great revivals he had. Thousands of people were saved. And it became, it was said of Spurgeon, all of England is his parish. He was a prolific writer, writing books on, on prayer, commentaries, devotionals. He was also one of the very first to ever print a Christian magazine. He wrote poetry, hymns, and books of sermons. He also pastored the great metropolitan tabernacle in London, England for 38 years. The story is told of five college seminary students who came to London on holiday. And they decided that they would attend this great church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And who knows, maybe, maybe they would even get to meet the famous Charles Spurgeon himself. Arriving at church the next Sunday morning, 
they were surprised that the entire sanctuary was empty. Only an elder gentleman was sitting up by the altar and his eyes were closed, just kind of reverently waiting with his head, head bowed. And they supposed that he was the custodian or possibly a deacon that was there. Finally, this older gentleman, uh, he, he, he noticed the five young men and he looked up and he said, hello, uh, can I help you? And they told him why, why they were there. And he said, well, let me show you around. We love having seminary students here. He said, let me show you the furnace room. Well, the boys didn't really care about seeing the furnace room. It was summer and it was hot. But they didn't want to be rude to the old guy. So they started following him. And he took them down a stairwell and quietly opened a door whispering, this is our furnace room. And when they looked in, they saw more than 700 people kneeling and praying for God's blessing on the upcoming service. Closing the door, the old man smiled and reached out his hands, shaking the seminary students' hands. And he said, welcome, I'm Pastor Spurgeon. The secret to one of the greatest revivals ever wasn't really a secret. There's got to be a prayer furnace. Spurgeon knew it wasn't his great preaching that fired the fires of revival. It was people who prayed. People who pray, that's who's going to change this nation. People who prayed shut down, shut down the bars across England. They even closed some jails. Prayer shook the nation. Prayer drew thousands to the altars of repentance. Prayer caused the fire of God to fall. Prayer is the furnace of revival. At the end of his life, Pastor Spurgeon was asked this question, what is the key to the power in the tabernacle? What, what's the key to the work here in London? And he answered with two words and then repeated. He repeated them twice. What is the key to the work here in London? He said, knee work. Knee work. That has not changed. Knee work. Knee work changed everything. One of the reasons that prayer releases power and anointing that we, the ecclesia, must release on this planet right now in a war season. One of the reasons that prayer releases that anointing to succeed is because prayer acknowledges that God is present. And when you know God is present, everything changes. Prayer says, I believe God's here. And I believe that he is hearing, he's listening. I mean, why would you even pray if you didn't believe God was here and listening? 
Why wouldn't you pray if you believe God is here and listening? Prayer soaks us in his presence. And presence, his presence is what infuses our faith. It's what infuses our confidence. I am confident as, as we pray, God is now in process of hastening his word to perform it. I am confident there will not fail one word of all his good promise. He is speeding up the promises like this world has never seen. I am confident we are not fighting this battle alone. He promised the battle is mine. The battle is the Lord. I am confident Messiah the breaker is going before us. I am confident the king's ecclesia, the true church will prevail. It will win. Something God planned is, is unfolding. The magnitude of it is something we haven't comprehended yet. Like President Lincoln, we need to be driven by the conviction that we have nowhere else to go, but we need nowhere else to go. Our answer is found in God. Our wisdom is insufficient for our times, but, but our God's is not. He can give wisdom beyond the natural realm. He can give answers when we can't see one. Like the great reformers throughout our history, heroes of the faith, like the New Testament believers uh, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, the book of Acts, We've got to fire up the furnace. This war season must be engaged with knee work. We got to light up the prayers. We need to set fire with, to revival with prayer. A great revelation, perhaps the greatest revelation that we can receive after salvation, after being born again, could be the revelation that when we present ourselves before God, we can pray people free. We, we can pray situations free. We can pray a nation free. And that's what this war season is about. It's about praying people free, praying a nation free, as God begins to accelerate and hasten his word. Like Spurgeon, Bunyan, Luther, John Knox. The church, the ecclesia in our times, especially now, beginning of war season, we must learn and we must do. We must cast our anchor. We need to anchor ourselves in prayer. We need to show this world a people who are anchored in Jesus, a people who are anchored in the word of Almighty God. You can't get us pushed. You can't push us off of it. A people unmovable, unshakable in our relentless prayers. A people who are not drifting hopelessly in a sea of despair somewhere. Rather, a people who bow their knees. They soak themselves in the presence of God. A people who go talk to God. People who present themselves to the Lord in prayer, in faith decrees.
and in worship warfare. The words of another great revivalist, Ellie Jones, says it well. Some of you will remember it from childhood. I do. But then again, I'm one of those rare guys. I remember things 60 years ago. They're indelibly printed, and here's one of them. Upon life's boundless ocean, where mighty billows roll, I fix my hope in Jesus, blessed anchor of my soul. When trials fierce assail me, as storms are gathering o'er, I rest upon his mercy and trust him more. I've anchored in Jesus the storms of life I brave. I've anchored in Jesus. I fear no wind or wave. I've anchored in Jesus, for he has power to save. I've anchored in the rock of ages. And is there any song decree greater than Luther's? It's certainly top ten. And it could become, possibly, the war cry for yet another war season. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood, a mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe, Thus seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth it is not its equal, did we in our own strength confide. Our striving will be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this word with, world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. That word... Above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. And his kingdom is forever. Forever. In this war season, we, we must... Fire up the prayer furnace. Singers and musicians, come. 
We are engaging in times that I've never experienced before. Probably most of us have not, the ecclesia has not. But there should be great confidence that our God, if we will continue to present ourselves to him, our God is going to give us long-standing victories now. And we are going to, to win this war season that we are in in ways that the world has never even thought possible. And we are going to see things, laws, situations change that millions thought was not possible. God says, you pray, I'll hasten my word and we're gonna change things. I refuse to hand over the nation. This 4th of July declares, we have a great nation, but it is God's nation and he's not handing it back, amen? Amen, would you stand please? Today, Lord, on the 4th of July weekend, Tomorrow we will gather and we'll give thanks for our nation. And we do thank you, Lord. What an awesome nation that you have given to us. But we know there is an enemy that seeks to work woe. But we believe you have wisdom and might that as we pray, you will engage the battle with us. We pray, God, that this nation that has drifted from you will now come back into alignment with you. As your ecclesia does, what reformers did in the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries. It's no secret. You pray, I'll hasten my word. You pray, I'll change things. You pray, I'll battle with you. You pray, my angels will partner with you. You pray, and you win great victories. We pray, God, you said all that you have promised. You will bring to pass It'll become true. There will not fail one word. You'll hasten to perform it. God, we pray that even this week, weekend, we see the hastening of what you have promised rolling through this land. Revival roll through the land, outpourings, souls. May your church engage, may I engage, may all of us engage in a pre presentation of ourselves before you, declaring what you say, praying, crying out, change things, God. Change this nation. Give us harvest, give us revival. May the prayer furnaces be lit. When you are in a war season, you have to do a little bit more or different 
than other times. And uh, a different effort, different, little different. Got to amp it up a bit. And I began doing this this week, and I'm going to encourage you to do it and everyone watching. It's not laborious, it doesn't take a long time. And uh, you can do it however you want, obviously, but you know, the, the American anthem that Rachel wrote is a good song to just play while you do it. But you can play anything or play nothing. But those three points, and, I, and I, I know you pray, people pray, but I'm asking you to consider doing what I've begun doing, just to kind of consciously make a little bit more effort. I pray, but kind of amp it up, maybe some different. And so I take two minutes, and I, I've done this kneeling, kneeling down. You don't have to, but there's something about that that kind of focuses you if you can. And I may talk to that here in the next week or two, but just kneel and for two minutes, pray. Pray beyond what I would normally do, but I'm making a conscious effort to do it different. And I pray, God, change this nation. Help us, Lord. And then for two minutes, I make decrees. The angel book will help you if you need it. I've got another book coming out. You, well, it's too late for that, but anyway. Make decrees, and then two minutes. I love you, Lord. It's an honor to be in your presence. Worship. And that's it. But you have made those three points a conscious awareness in your mind only takes six minutes to pray the anthem and you about got it but i'm going to encourage you to say i'm going to take on that discipline during this this war season and all of you watching online i would encourage you to do that it's a little bit more but the synergy of that little bit more with thousands of us doing it makes a difference Amen. Hallelujah. So, Lord, this 4th of July weekend, ah, we just thank you for what you are doing, going to do, and what is in process of being done. And uh, we allow you, Holy Spirit, to, to challenge us individually and corporately at a different level of prayer, just consciously present ourselves to you a little bit more a little bit more synergize those thousands of prayers into the rolling theme of heaven hastening to perform your word because we will be doing it in the name of King Jesus amen 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 Thank you, Lord.